Hey, we wanna welcome all of you joining us online and of course, all of you at all of our other campuses. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, my name's Austin. I am the campus pastor over at our Somerset campus and I get the privilege today of being with you and continuing this series that Pastor Trevor set up for us uh, so well last week about David, uh, about David and about the fact that David is a man after God's own heart uh, and perhaps maybe some insights that we can glean from the way he lived his life so that we could follow in his steps to the best of our ability. Now, before we jump into the content today, and, and just so you know, we're gonna, we're gonna jump right in where Pastor Trevor left off. We're gonna continue the story, but I got a little setup for you before we do that. So if you'll humor me for just a moment, I would love to ask you, if you're watching online, if you're here in the room, one of our campuses, would you close your eyes for me just for a moment? And I want you to go back to when you were a kid. And I want you to think about, you know, about November comes around, and those holiday magazines, catalogs start showing up, you know, the JCPenney, the Sears, and Roebuck. And you start getting excited about Christmas. You remember how that felt? Remember those feelings? You can think of the smells of Christmas, all of that. And there's something that you see in those catalogs or something that you've seen on a commercial that you, you want it. You want it so bad. All right, now you can open your eyes. Did you get there? Did you get there with me? Because here's the thing. When you're a kid, when it's like November and you have to wait till December 25th, that seems like forever, doesn't it? You remember how that felt? That felt like it was never going to get there. It felt like there's no possible way I can wait that long until Christmas. Now, give you a little insight about my personality. I was the kid who always went looking for where the presents were hid, okay? I wasn't about, you know, waiting until Christmas day. I wanted to know what I had and I wanted to know what was coming. So one particular year I went looking and, you know, I looked in uh, under the beds and in our basement, we had a drop ceiling. I even got a little step stool, got up there, got a little flashlight and looking around above the drop ceiling. No, nothing up there, uh, you know, and I'm looking around the house and finally I go into this one closet and um, back in the corner of the closet, you know, where you would never go unless you, you know, intentionally were headed there for some reason, under some blankets, I found this box. So I'm pulling the blankets off and there it is, exactly what I wanted, a Nintendo 64. I'm like, yes, praise Jesus. All right, now, so I know it's there, I know it's mine because I've asked for this thing and nobody else in my house ha has. And so that's my Nintendo 64, but, I can't have it yet. I can't have it yet. You know how they say money will burn a hole in your pocket? If you're that kind of person? That Nintendo 64 like burned a hole in my soul. <laughs> because that was like the first week of December and for the next three weeks, man, I tried every way in the world to convince my parents to let me open presents early. Let's open presents early. Y'all ever do that? You bug your parents to death or now you have kids and they bug you to death. Man, we just don't get to open the presents, you know? I was like, I'll do it. I'll do anything, man. I'll do whatever you want. Whatever you say, I'll wash your truck. You know, I'll do all my chores. I'll even brush my teeth. Uh, you know, all that stuff. It's a hard no from my parents, right? All the way up until Christmas Eve night. And I'm thinking, I got it. Listen, mom, dad, let's open presents tonight because then I won't wake you up early in the morning. You get to sleep in, right? I'm doing this for you. No, they weren't gonna have it, okay? I had to wait all the way until Christmas morning 
to claim what I knew was already mine. And I don't know about you, but I can't stand waiting. I can't stand it. It's like, it's the worst, okay? Traffic, don't wanna deal with it. If there's traffic, I would rather take an alternate route that takes me an hour and a half longer, as long as I keep moving, right? Yep. I know in my brain, I know it's not logical. I know I can get there faster, but there's something that feels like if there's movement, then we must be making progress, right? And if I'm stuck and I'm stopped, I just, I can't stand that feeling of stagnancy and waiting. Man, amusement parks pretty much count me out. Unless it's like, you know, one of the closing days when nobody's there or whatever. I ain't waiting, I ain't waiting in the line for, for, for a ride. There's no ride in the world worth waiting longer than 30 minutes in a line that goes back and forth where you have to pass the BO guy every time, you know? You know what I'm talking about. You've been there. Vacations, I'm not going on vacation during peak season. It ain't happening. I ain't dealing with the traffic. I ain't dealing with going to a restaurant and then being like four hours till you can eat dinner. Oh my God, it'll be midnight by then. Not dealing with that. I can't, I, waiting. Not a big fan of that. Uh, I'm always the last person, this is how bad it is. I'm the last person ready at my house. It's not because it takes me longer than everybody else to get ready, right? Because stereotypically, right? Women take longer than men to get ready. Nope, okay, sweet. <laughs> but it's because I wait and I procrastinate and I just realized this last year, I was like, why do I do that? Because if I get ready first, then I'm waiting on them and I can't stand to wait. I pack at the last minute for a trip because if my bag gets packed two days before the trip, now I'm ready to go and I'm just waiting. I wanna get up the morning of the trip, throw it all in the bag. I don't care if I forget something, there's a Walmart where I'm going, right? I ain't waiting. Now, y'all can probably tell I got some issues to work out. <laughs> That's right. We're not, we're not so different, are we? Uh, decisions, important decisions that people need to make, especially people above me. Oh, can you just make a decision? You know? That's how I am. I can't stand to wait. And if we're honest, we would admit this. Some of us, we definitely have more patience than others, but none of us enjoy waiting, do we? None of us enjoy waiting. It's not fun. The worst, it's all the worst, by the way, the worst is the airport. Can I get an amen? All you're doing is waiting. You show up with your bags to check your bags, you're waiting to check your bags. You get your bags checked, you go wait in line for security check. Waiting in line for security check. Getting impatient in the, in the security line. I mean, get me through the line, man, come on. Why, you're just gonna have to wait over there. I wanna wait over there. I don't wanna wait here. Get me through this thing, you know? And then if you stay in the security line long enough, if you're anything like me, you start like questioning yourself. You're like, do I have a gun on me? <laughs> you know what I mean? Am I a terrorist? Uh, you start getting nervous and you you know, it just seems so serious up there, man. Then you get out of security and you go to the terminal and now you're sitting there waiting. And then inevitably, you know, the pilot's great niece 
appendix burst and he's late, so now the flight's delayed or whatever, you know? That's how it goes. And then finally, we're boarding the plane. We get on the plane, we're sitting there uh, at the little jetway deal, and we're just sitting there. It's like 40 minutes I've been on this plane, we haven't moved. What the heck is going on? Why did you put us all together in this tin can to wait in here when we could have been inside where there's nice large restrooms and all that? And then finally, we're gonna push away. We'll be on the runway in just a moment. So they push away and you're moving and you're feeling a little better, your anxiety's easing a little bit. And then you stop again at some point and you're trying to look out of that little porthole of a window, you know, see what's going on. And then you hear, uh, passengers, uh, the tower has let us know that we are 24th in line for takeoff. Uh, we'll get you there as soon as we can. And I just want to be like, bro, you're the pilot. I don't want to go up there. I'll be like, you're the pilot of the plane, man. I say we're first. Let's just go through the little yard there, cut somebody off. What are they going to do? Okay. If you need us, we'll be up in the clouds. You know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do? Let's go. The waiting, the waiting, man, I am not good at it. Some of us are more patient than others, but none of us like it. None of us like waiting because it feels like there's no progress being made. It feels like nothing is happening. It feels like there's no point. The clock is just ticking. Time is passing. Our life is passing us by. And waiting on God can feel the same way. Waiting on God can be one of the, the most difficult forms of waiting that we have to do in our life. Because the clock is ticking, man. I'm not getting any younger. Lord, I, I, I need a husband. My biological clock is ticking. What are we doing here, God? I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to have somebody, but I don't. It, waiting. It, it's, it's uh, ugh, I don't like it. I don't like it. Now, here's the deal. There's, there's, there's all types of faith that we have to have in God, but I think that uh, waiting is one of the most difficult forms of faith. And here's what I mean. Um, I feel like waiting is like next tier faith. Like first tier faith is like you begin to follow Jesus and you begin to learn his ways, okay? And, and some of that's difficult to, to digest at first. It's like, I gotta do what? I gotta love my enemies, Okay, whatever. I'm supposed to serve people who are beneath me and not consider myself better than them. All right, I guess I can get behind that. I can work on that. I'm supposed to give and be generous. You know, all of these things, those are his ways. And like level one is like, uh, I'm making these levels up, by the way. This is Austin theology. <clears throat> level one, this is not, level one. It's like, okay, I trust your ways, Lord. But then there's a whole nother level to trusting his timing. Because it's like, Lord, I'm walking in your ways. I'm trusting these things. I'm doing the things you've asked me to do. I'm living the way you said. Why aren't you responding? Why is nothing happening? Why is the breakthrough not coming? Why am I not receiving the promise, the blessing? Where, where's that at, Lord? Where is that? So even if you find it easy to trust God's ways, it's still difficult to trust his timing. And waiting 
is most difficult when you don't know the why, isn't it? It's most difficult when you don't know why you're waiting. And usually with God, you don't know why you're waiting. You just don't know. Now, I don't like waiting on a plane when I don't know why. But Jesse and I, my wife and I, we took a trip one time when we get out to the runway and we, we, we are go for takeoff. We are running down the runway. I promise you the front wheels had began to lift when all of a sudden, slams on the brakes. Oh man, a little irritating. But he lets us know we had problems with each engine <laughs> and he made the judgment call to go get us a new plane. I think that was the right call, Mr. Captain of the plane, thank you. So we all go back to the terminal, we get out, we have to wait. But we understand why we're waiting. We're okay with that, okay? It's this or we all meet our demise together. We'll, we'll wait. We can handle waiting when we understand, but it's difficult when we don't understand why we are waiting. What are we waiting for, Lord? What, what are we waiting for? God, I've embraced your purpose. I've embraced your plan for me. I've embraced your ways. I feel like you've given me a vision for my life. Let's go, God. Let's do this thing. Because right now it feels like we're just wasting time. It feels like nothing's happening. It feels like progress is being lost. And I don't know if you know this, Lord, but I'm not getting any younger. Let's get this going. If you've ever felt that way, possibly you feel that way now. This message it's for you. This message is for anybody who feels like they're stuck in the waiting room. Stuck in the waiting room, waiting on God. God, you gave me a vision for my future. God, I started this company because I was convinced that that's what you wanted me to do. But we've not seen, we've not been prosperous. We've not seen profits. What gives? God, you called me to ministry. I feel like you've called me to ministry, but there's no opportunity. There are no doors opening. Lord, I moved to this place because I believed that this is where you wanted me. But nothing's happening. I feel like we're not moving forward. God, I'm, I'm ready for a husband. I'm, I'm ready for a wife, which when we're young, basically translates to, I'm ready to have sex. Let's be real. Let's, let, let's go. We're, we're ready, Lord. We're ready. God, I'm ready to lead. I'm, I'm ready to have that position. See that person over there? See what they have? See how I'm ready for that. I believe that's what you have for me, Lord. God, I am ready. I'm ready for financial freedom. I'm ready. I know that your word says that, that I'm a slave to my debt. If I have debt, I'm a slave to that. And I shouldn't be. So, Lord, I mean, I've been checking the mailbox for checks, and they just haven't been coming. What gives, Lord? Where's that big check at? Why can't I get out of this hole? I feel like I'm just living in the in-between. Can anybody relate with that? I'm just living in the in-between. I thought my purpose was one thing, but seemingly nothing's happening. No progress is being made. And that is exactly where we find David as we pick up the story today. David has just been anointed by Samuel to be the next king. 
And King Saul, uh, he's been doing things his own way. He's disobeyed God. And so God has lifted his spirit from King Saul. He's removed his anointing and he has now placed it on David and said, you will be the next king. And so that's where we find David. Specifically, we find David entering the waiting room, the very beginning of the waiting room. And so it goes on and it goes like this. So Samuel He took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Now, before we go any farther, this is, you know, Samuel anointing David and saying, hey, you're God's chosen king. You're going to replace Saul. But there's two things in here that I want to clarify for us before we move ahead, because I think they could trip us up. They could get us thinking. They could have a scratch in our head if we don't understand them correctly in context of today versus then. Uh, These are two different time periods. So then they were under an old covenant with God. They They had a particular agreement. Now, Jesus said he completed that covenant. We are now in a new covenant. So I want to talk about anointing, and I want to talk about the Spirit of the Lord, which is synonymous with the Holy Spirit, because I think we can have some misconceptions about that. It seems like when we read these stories that God's Spirit can fall on somebody and then be removed and then go over here and help that person, and and it's just like back and forth, back and forth, and indeed, that was the case. But in the New Covenant, Jesus said after he goes away, he would send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would indwell all believers. And so if you've placed your faith in Christ now, post-resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides in you. It doesn't leave you. It's not more in me than it is in you or vice versa. We all have the Spirit if we're a believer in Jesus. And then there's this idea of anointing that gets thrown around in the story as well. And a lot of times for us, anointing sort of comes off like this spooky, exclusive, divine spiritual power that God gives to some people, but not to others. And really, that's that's, that's sort of a partially true understanding, and it certainly was in the Old Covenant, but there's a better way, a much healthier way, I think, to understand anointing. Uh, And Eugene Peterson, in his book, uh, outlines that for us in Leap Over a Wall. He says, in our biblical texts, being anointed means being given a job by God. It means employment. We're told, in effect, that there's a job to be done and that we're assigned to do it and that we can do it. And so the anointing of God is simply that God is giving you an assignment. That God has something for you to do. He has a purpose for you. And so now the Holy Spirit is with all of us and the anointing is also with all of us because we've all been given the same assignment. It's called the Great Commission. It's to go and tell people about Jesus make disciples and baptize them. We all have the same assignment. Now, the way it plays out, the way it looks, the vision for how that happens, that's different for all of us, but we've all been given that assignment. So today in the new covenant, we're all full of the Holy Spirit. We're all anointed. So don't let this stuff throw you off uh, and, and confuse you as we move forward. We all have a job to do in his kingdom. So we are all anointed. So there is where we are and that's where David is. Holy Spirit and anointing. And we go on. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. 
And Saul's attendants said to him, see, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre, which is kind of like a little harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes and you will feel better. And so Saul said to the attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. And one of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. Now listen to this. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and he's a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. And then Saul, he sent uh, messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. Now David's already been anointed and now he's back with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey and he loaded it with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and he sent them with his son David to Saul as a gift for the king. Now, we don't know exactly how much time has passed between the anointing and this, but we do know some significant time has passed. David was most likely 14, 15 years old uh, when the anointing occurred, and now he's had time to be referred to as a man. He's had time to become known as a well-spoken man. So he's had opportunities to speak in front of people, to galvanize troops. Uh, He's become known as a brave warrior. So he's had the opportunity to be a part of some types of battles. And he's known now as an excellent musician. Really, he's known as someone who pours his heart and soul into everything he does, and he does it all with excellence. He's anointed to be king, but he's not king yet. Yet someone noticed what he was doing. Someone noticed him in the field, in the pasture, on the battlefield. Someone noticed. He was in the in-between. He was waiting to have the fulfillment of the promise and of the anointing but he wasn't there yet. But here's what David understood that would help us. David didn't view waiting as an obstacle, but as an opportunity. He didn't view waiting as an obstacle. It wasn't something to just get over with. It wasn't something that was in the way of progress. Waiting was an opportunity. He didn't whine and complain. Give me the kingdom now. Please, God, let me be the king now. I'll do, any, I'll do anything you say, Lord. He didn't do that. And here's something David was able to do, which is incredibly remarkable. Uh, I think we would all do well to be able to get to a place to be able to do something like this. David was able to be anointed without being entitled. He was able to be anointed by God, chosen by God, singled out as the next king, elevated in that way, but not be entitled. He went back to work on what was right in front of him. He went back to the sheep, the stupid, nasty, stinky sheep that can't defend themselves, that he has to protect from the same thing over and over. The king? 
Kings don't do that. Now here's a fun thought experiment. What if you or I were David? We get anointed. There's no way we're going back out there, right? We're, we're, we're writing our letter of resignation for that sheep job right away, right? We're like, dad, here, I'm done with the sheep. Thank you, you can handle your sheep now. Um, we, we would have um, some, some custom tailored robes you know, begin to be made that would fit us just, just perfectly, you know? Probably make a few decrees, because you're king, you can, you can make decrees. You've never been able to do that. You know, our, our voice would probably get a little bit deeper and louder when we speak to people because we're a king. We make, you know, sit back here on my throne. Will you uh, come fiddle for me? You know what I mean? I mean, we would just be lapping it up. But David understood that being chosen for a purpose doesn't exempt you from the process. That being chosen for a purpose does not exempt you from the process. That being given a purpose, it's not synonymous with being prepared to accomplish that purpose. So David goes back to doing what he knows to do. And not only doing it, but doing it well. He works hard where he is. He waits and he walks through doors as God opens them. Oh, here's a battle. That's an opportunity for you to prove your leadership. The morale's down amongst the troops. This is an opportunity to open your mouth and speak and see if you can lead. There's a bear attacking the sheep. This is an opportunity to see if you're a coward, if you can fight, if you can protect. He walks through those doors as God opens them. And people were watching. In the waiting, people were watching. He's in the waiting room. He's in the in-between. But people are watching. See, you never know who's watching. Some of Saul's men are watching. They see how David lives his life. They see that he's well-spoken. He's a warrior and that he's good on this thing called the liar. And so they go and they bring him in. And the story goes on, it says, David came to Saul and he entered his service and Saul liked him very much. And David became one of his armor bearers. And then Saul sent word to Jesse, David's dad, saying, allow David to remain in my service for I am pleased with him. And whenever the spirit of God came on Saul, David would take out his lyre and play. And then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. And so now the door has been opened for David to take his first steps into the palace. But not as king, but as a servant. A servant with a very specific job. And here's the thing about David. He didn't consider himself above serving. He didn't get jealous of Saul and Saul's position. He didn't pull rank and say, yeah, you're on the way out. I'm on the way in, buddy. Why don't you play this little old thing for me? <laughs> that made me feel pretty good. No. He humbled himself and he was willing to serve. He stayed focused, not on the waiting, 
not on how much time that this was taking, but he stayed focused on the task that was right in front of him. Play music and do it well. Minister to the king. Minister to the king, that's your job. By playing music and doing it well. And he understood that the waiting room is where God prepares you for what he has prepared for you. That the waiting room, that's where God prepares you for what he has prepared for you. It seems like nothing's happening in the waiting room. But here's what you need to know. The waiting room, it's very much like the weight room. W-E-I-G-H-T. That's where you get prepared. That's where you gain strength. You know what weight rooms are like? It, it, when you play a sport in high school or college or professional level, you know, you know, during the off season, sometimes during the season, you go to the weight room. You know who's never there? The media. They're not in there taking pictures. They're not showing you all that. Weight room's boring. It's, it's repetitive. It's rep after rep after rep. It's painful. You do the same things over and over. The weight room remains the same, but you know what changes? You do. You do. You're being shaped. You're being strengthened. You're being challenged. You're learning. You're being molded and prepared for your purpose that will come when you're ready. It's where you prepare for your purpose. That's the weight room. And so when you feel stuck, when you feel stuck in the waiting room, I think if David were here, he would say, be patient in the process. Be patient in the process. What happens is we see others, we see their position, we see their status, and we get impatient because we want it. Oh Lord, look, look, look what he has. He, he's the CEO of that company. You know, he's financially free. He's got, I, I can do that. I want that. I feel like you're calling me to something like that. Oh, look at, look at her, Lord. She's got a great looking family and she's successful. She works and, she, you know, I, I, I want that. Oh, I, I could do that, Lord. Look, that's what I want. I want to be like that person. That's, that's what I want. I want to be in their position. But here's what we forget. If you want their position, you have to be willing to pay the price that they've paid. Because that's the stuff you don't see. That's the behind the scenes stuff. That's the weight room stuff. That's not the highlight reel that you see on social media. And see, there's a price to be paid for occupying any position, for making progress. There's a price. There's a price that's been paid. It may be worth it. It may not be worth it. You may be chasing something that God doesn't even have for you. But make no mistake, before David could lead in the palace, he had to learn in the pasture. Before he could lead in the palace, he had to learn in the pasture. See, we want the palace without the pasture, don't we? We don't want to be out there. We don't want to go through that. We don't want to have to smell that. We don't want to have to fend off lions or bears with a sling. 
We don't want to have to face Goliath. We want the palace, but we don't want the pasture. We want the promise, but we don't want the preparation. Lord, just give it to us. Why, why we got to wait? Why we got to do all this? You're God, by the way. You can do anything, can't you? <laughs> nice try. Can't you just make me who I need to be? God will never give us the promise before we're prepared. And here's why. This is, this is the why. Remember, it's difficult. It's most difficult to wait when you don't know why. Here's the why. Because a blessing given at the wrong time, it's just a burden. See, with blessings come burdens, for sure. But when you give a blessing at the wrong time, there's not even a blessing. It's just a burden. It's just a burden. Good parents know this. You don't give your children something before they're ready. You don't hand your one and a half year old a pair of sharp scissors. You don't do that. They're, they're not ready to handle that. They're not ready to handle that. You know what a good parent does? They prepare their child to be able to handle the burden that comes with the blessing. And that's what God does for you. And that's what God does for me. And that's why we're waiting. My oldest daughter, Ellie, she's seven years old, which means that if things go like they should, in nine years, she'll be able to get her license. Now, you know how it is when you're, when you're a teenager and you're getting close to getting your license. It's like, man, you're waiting. It feels like forever, right? Like, I just, I want this freedom. I want, you know, I want a car. You guys gonna get me a car? All that sort of thing. Now, here's the deal. We could buy Ellie a car today. We could do that. It wouldn't be a very nice car, but we could do it. And I could give it to her as a seven-year-old. But she's not ready for that, you see? That's not made for her. She's not grown enough yet to be prepared for that. See, her feet, they, they would just be a burden. She can't even reach the pedals. She can't see over the steering wheel. She has no concept of being able to, to, to think about the road gets slick when it rains or when it snows or there's oncoming traffic and what if that person soars a little bit or what if somebody's coming up behind you too fast? She, none of that. She's not ready for that responsibility. And so to give her that now before she's ready, it would just be a burden. Honestly, she probably would just get killed. She's not ready for that. And a good parent knows that. And a good God who is a good father, he knows that too. Because he can see dangers ahead that you can't see. He can see responsibilities that he knows you're not ready to bear. He can see opportunities that he knows you're not quite ready to lead through. And here's a hard truth, but it's powerful if you'll embrace it. Sometimes God proves his love for us by what he's not giving us. Sometimes God proves his love for us by what he's not giving us. I don't give my seven-year-old daughter a car because I love her. 
That's why. That's why we're waiting. Because there's a process. There's a preparation. And if you're waiting, it means he has determined you are not ready. You're not ready. And so the challenge is, what do we do? We embrace the process. We embrace the process. See the waiting room through a different lens. See the waiting room through the lens of a loving parent who is trying to prepare you for what they've promised you. Trying to prepare you to make sure that you're ready for what you are about to face and embrace the process. While you're waiting, work hard at what's right in front of you, just like David. Work hard at what's right in front of you. What do you already know how to do? Do that and do it well until God opens the next door. While you're waiting, stay humble. Don't get entitled. Don't think you're owed something. Stay humble. While you're waiting, be willing to serve. And keep a good attitude when it's not happening as fast as you think that it should. Because that means your father has determined you're not ready. It's not safe for you yet. It's not safe. But don't worry. Because if God has put a call on your life, if God's given you a vision, if God has promised you something, it's just like that Nintendo 64 that I found sitting back in the closet. It was mine. I knew it was mine. And if God puts your name on something, it ain't going to nobody else. If God puts your name on it, it's yours. It's just a matter of time. So embrace the process. Trust his timing because he knows best. He knows you haven't grown into that responsibility. He knows your feet can't reach the pedals yet. You don't understand that but he does. He knows you can't see over the windshield. You think you would be fine. You think you could do it, but he knows. He knows about the dangers of the other people and the things that are gonna be coming at you head on and that you're not ready to navigate that, that you don't have the wherewithal, that you don't have the experience, that your character's not there yet. He's working on you in the weight room. Trust your loving, good Father to know best when it comes to timing. After all, He is the God over everything, isn't He? I think He's more qualified than me to determine when I'm ready. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for the example of David and his character. God, that 
he was humble and he was patient. And God, he was a hard worker and he poured himself fully into whatever was in front of him. God, and that he trusted your timing. God, that he gave us an example to follow. And God, that you preserved this story for us to give us a glimpse into sometimes why we have to wait. So God, may you help us trust your timing. God, by your spirit, would you remind us when we get impatient, when we get frustrated, when we can't see the things that you see, would you remind us that you are our father, you love us and you know best and that we're in the midst of process. In Jesus' name we pray together.